On this Palm Sunday, we turn our attention now to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. I invite you to listen for God's word as it comes to us from the Gospel. When they, the disciples, were approaching Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that's never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, what are you doing, or why are you doing this, just say this. The Lord needs it, and will send it back here immediately. They went away, and they found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. And as they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, What are you doing, untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they'd cut in the fields. And then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed! is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And then he entered Jerusalem, went into the temple, and when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in a word of prayer? And so, gracious God, we come on this Palm Sunday this moment of celebration before the darkness descends. We ask that by your grace, you would speak to us and quiet within us any voice but your own. For we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Today, we conclude this sermon series, Letting Go, Letting God. And today we take a look at how pride can lead to a downfall. Now, we're not talking about pride in our accomplishments or being proud of our children. That's self-respect, and that's a positive thing, and it doesn't necessarily lead to pride. However, we are talking about a lack of humility. Dante defined pride as the love of self perverted to hatred and contempt for one's neighbor, end quote. Let me ask you, who, who do you know that loves themselves excessively, that always puts themselves in their own interests first? Does that description fit Ty Cobb or Mickey Mantle for you? Donald Trump or Governor Andrew Cuomo? Madonna or Megan the Stallion? Pavarotti or Placido Domingo? Uh, this week, my daytimer had one of those thoughts for the day that read, it's a funny thing about life. If you refuse to accept anything but the best, you very often get it. Now, doesn't it seem sometimes that the people who refuse to accept anything but the best often succeed where others don't? Many of you know I'm a March Madness NCAA fan, especially this time of year. 
Players, coaches, teams, sometimes they approach games with such confidence that it seems a little prideful. And sometimes they actually find their best and rise to the occasion. But when it leads to contempt for one's opponent, it's crossed the line. So when does confidence cross over and become pride? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall, according to the Proverbs. Some people puff themselves up so much that we may even find a little joy when they fall and when they get their comeuppance. Pride, it's one of the seven deadly sins in the Roman Catholic theology. In fact, it's the original and most serious of the deadly sins because it's thought to be the source of all the other sins. Sometimes it's called hubris. Pride believes that one is better, more important, and superior to others. And it fails to acknowledge the accomplishments of others. There's a, an excessive admiration of one's personal image and an unwillingness or even a refusal to acknowledge one's own limits or faults or wrongs as a human being. This is what characterizes pride. Now, on Palm Sunday, Jesus approaches. He's confident but humble. He rides on a donkey, not a great horse, like a warrior entering the city, like maybe Tommy Trojan and Traveler, no, Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. And being born in human likeness and found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him. As you heard earlier in the service, Paul writes in Philippians 2, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Humility, not pride. So Jesus approaches the city of Jerusalem, and he approaches the center of faith challenging both believers and non-believers. And on Palm Sunday, Jesus approaches both the faithful and his critics and detractors. He even approaches his own death, but he also approaches you and me. And the question that day long ago and now is the same. Will he be received as Lord? Will this king and the reign from heaven that he inaugurates be received or rejected? Now looking back at that first entrance, the city was churning with stress and strain. It was full of tumult and political upheaval, not unlike our cities today. Perhaps you saw the police presence this last Friday in Echo Park in Los Angeles. I mean, the challenge of homelessness and how to deal with people living in our parks and streets and freeways, it causes friction between homeowners and the houseless. 
between advocates and city officials. Every element of Jerusalem responded in one way or another to its approaching Lord. And the response said much more about the nature of the people than it did about Jesus. There were children and those of simple faith. There were the thoughtful and the puzzle who wondered if this could easily and really be the one foretold by the prophets who was to suddenly come into his temple. Those who were cured of illness and disease were there to lay their coats before him. Those who had believed in him felt that their faith deepened at this sounding of his trumpet. But some grabbed their traditions more closely for they sensed the challenge to everything they held dear. And some looked upon the whole parade with disdain, wondering what these religious fanatics were going to do next. Each responded according to his or her own nature to the coming of Christ. You know, it's been said before that we, we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. And like that city, our own hearts are often filled with stress and strain and divided loyalties. We may feel that the life within us is just as tumultuous, just as unsettled as that city was that day. We too feel pulled in so many different directions, wanting to hang on to our traditions and yet needing to embrace something new. We certainly know that this year has changed things, but we're unsure just how things have changed or how they should change. And we too may want to keep peace within our souls, but find we can no longer hold it all together needing something more than we have known, something more of life and love and more of eternity within us. You know, when Jesus first looked on Jerusalem, he wept. He loved the city. He saw there its possibilities and its people whom he had created, and it brought him to tears. And the Lord looks upon our lives and similarly feels every bit as much love. Perhaps mingled a little with that love is also tears at what we have done to ourselves and what we do to one another. So let us consider what the approaching Jesus might find within the city of our souls. Will it be pride and self-interest? Or will it be humility and the willingness to acknowledge that Christ is not only Lord of all, Christ is Lord of my life. Now the crowd that went out to meet Jesus that day was comprised of those who had known his healing. The blind and the brokenhearted, the forgiven, a quadriplegic who could now walk the mentally ill who were healed, even a few whose lives had ended, or so they thought. But there were also those who were deeply skeptical, those who opposed everything Jesus stood for, who were recipients of his anger or disappointment or criticism. And there were also those 
who could care less about what he stood for, but wished either to disturb the peace for political expediency. I mean, the first century had their patriots and their Antifa too. And there were also those who desired to keep the peace, but could care less about ideals and higher values. They simply wanted to maintain the status quo. All of them. All of them streamed out of the city to see this one who disturbed the tranquility with his words and his actions and his claims and his presence. What strikes me about our text this morning as Jesus transitions from Galilee to Jerusalem and as the crowds gathered for the processional into Jerusalem and as the disciples gathered for a final meal with their Lord and as the leaders and elders <clears throat> leaders and elders gathered to plot and plan and as the prefect traveled to squash any possible rebellion and as the whole drama began to play out every step and at every turn Jesus was aware that he was losing control I mean ironically he's directing the narrative find a colt untie it tell them this all the while he's giving his life and being swept up in a much larger drama And the Jesus the crowds welcome and want turns out not to be the Jesus they in fact get. As the calm before the storm gives way to the storm itself this week, Jesus continued to believe that God was able to deliver him despite all the evidence to the contrary. And he continued to believe God was able to bring about salvation and redemption and a new beginning in life. What a paradox. The Son of God's no longer in charge of his own life. The betrayer Judas has handed him over to the chief priests and elders. And the elders and the chief priests have handed him over to Pilate. And Pilate will hand him over to be crucified. And after his terse reply to Pilate, you have said so. Jesus maintains his silence until the great cry of dereliction, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Betrayed and abandoned by everyone, he experiences the depths of human isolation and alienation. And we all know something of what that feels like this past year. The human Jesus is pictured as dying with a cry of anguish and abandonment on his lips, but not despair. He dies with lament, a truly human death, and yet still with faith in God and a certain dignity, this crucified God. Can't explain it, can only proclaim it. There are times in this life when we too must travel from Galilee to Jerusalem, 
when we too must go from being in control of our lives to having to let go of control of our lives and trust that though we can no longer command the events, God has not abandoned us either. Despite the circumstances of our lives, when all hell is breaking around us, can we then continue to believe in God's grace and love known to us in Jesus Christ? Can we trust God's unfolding providence in our lives? Here, the scriptures are fulfilled in the most surprising way. And God is in control of this unfolding drama behind the scenes and behind the curtain. So in the face of what was before him that week, Jesus begins with a parade. As if to say the very worst of what's humanly possible cannot stop the grace of Almighty God. Life is good. Life is a gift even when we've made a mess of things or when we're no longer in control of the outcome. Our lives are not simply at the mercy of powers beyond our control. There's a deeper mystery loose in the world and it has the power to secure our lives and to set our world back on its axis. Thanks be to God who in Christ Jesus rides into our lives in the most surprising ways. We find life by losing life. We discover love by becoming loving. We begin to see others as children of the same God, whatever their color or background. We no longer find ourselves waiting for others to reach out to us. We become part of the outreach of the love of God in Jesus Christ. And when we face adversity, we don't wish it was easier. We wish we were better. And rather than fewer problems, we pray for more skill and more determination and more courage to face the challenges in front of us. It wasn't political freedom that was at issue. It was freedom within, where if we're imprisoned, it's by our own choosing because of our pride. Clearly, this was not another in a long succession of political efforts. Rather, it was a transformation to capture the hearts and the imaginations of those who would believe It was an invitation to a whole new dimension of living. And for those who discovered that new dimension and who continue to discover it, what took place in those days has everything to do with how they live in these days. You see, the question that day long ago and now is the same. Will Jesus be received as Lord? Will this king and the reign from heaven that he inaugurates be received? Or will it be rejected? Where are you in the story of salvation? Maybe this week you can approach Easter differently and find yourself in this story. 
Let Christ's passion, death, and resurrection seep into your life this week. It can uncover our pride and we can discover our Lord. And then celebrate because the grace of Almighty God has arrived. Thanks be to God. Amen.